the beauty of this, right, <laughs> which I always say, is that, like, robots exist. Robots are out there that do car manufacturing, mm-hmm. for example. So we're not talking about inventing new robots. We've invented a new product, and this is about applying automation. Hi, I'm Kaya Taylor, and this is Rewired, a show exploring the future of energy in Australia from ARENA, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. Today on the show, we're talking with Nicole Cooper-Russell, the Chief Operating Officer at 5B, a company focused on making it quicker and cheaper to roll out solar projects. So 5B is driving a paradigm shift in how we deploy solar farms globally. So right now, solar farms are deployed in a project-by-project, pretty manual, construction-based way. And what we are doing is we are prefabricating and rapidly deploying solar modules, essentially, into the farm so that you can get them in there 10 times faster and using half the land versus conventional solar technologies. Nicole's journey with solar started from a young age. She was just eight years old when her parents gave her a little solar car. And the rest, as they say, is history. I was just hooked. I just thought it was so magic that there was this little blue panel that I put on the back of the car and the car drove. And I was like, you know, when you're a little kid, you're like staring at it like, what? But how? Like, where's the battery? Or what do you mean the sun's converting this directly into electricity? Um, My parents are both mathematicians. So also... (laughs) That was going to be my next question. Deep, (laughs) deeply nerdy family. Like we would spend our holidays trying to calculate how many litres of water are in the ocean and, you know, stuff like that. (laughs) So, and, and, you know, pondering, um, I think I was five when my dad first tried to explain, like, the theory of relativity. (laughs) Wow, okay, cool. So your path was set. It was set, yeah. Yeah. My parents are German, so also (laughs) love science. Um, So I was never going to not love science. I don't think that was ever really an option. Um, And then also, I think because I spent so much of my childhood kind of jumping back and forth between Germany and Australia, and every time I'd go to Germany, there'd be more of these solar panels on the roofs. And I was like, why? (laughs) It's so miserable. (laughs) Why are you putting solar panels on the roofs here? Where is the sun? (laughs) And where is the sun? And why does this not exist in Australia? Like, we've got all this sun. Um, And, you know, also my grandma had seven different recycling bins. You know, there's just a different focus on... The environment and efficient use of materials in Germany that was really ingrained in me right from the get-go. So when Nicole was ready to choose a university, she chose UNSW because of their focus on photovoltaics and their history of leading solar research. And I thought, oh, there's a whole degree on this. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what on earth? So I sat down opposite the late Professor Stuart Wenham mm-hmm. and like an hour and a half later, yeah. I stood up and was like, that's it. <laughs> All right, my path is set. And he hit just the way, you know, this is quite a long time ago <laughs> now. Um, and so the way that he spoke back then about the vision and what the industry could be and the potential for solar to really address climate change and energy access all around the world was so inspiring. So, yeah, I joined, did my undergrad in photovoltaic and solar energy engineering back in the day when I think there were only about 20 of us in my year, then went on to do a PhD 
mm-hmm. under uh, the late Professor Stuart Wenham as well, really on the device side of things. The solar world is very small, and for Nicole, her lab assistant during her PhD was none other than Vince Allen, who later co-founded SunDrive. We've had Vince on the podcast before, so if you want to learn more about SunDrive, go and listen to that episode. Nicole's research, though, was specifically focused on the printing of solar cells. So it was on first generation, so silicon cells, and I was looking at how you could potentially manufacture those cells in a developing country environment. So low-tech, low-cost, low-skill kind of processing. So everything had to be sub-200 degrees. So it was about spinning on kind of a resin and then inkjet printing a pattern onto that resin that would then change the properties of it and enable us to make solar cells using different technologies, which was great. It was a super interesting and fascinating PhD topic. It fell down in reliability. I did manage to make an iJet cell (laughs) once, which was super exciting. It was definitely the highlight, uh, my eureka moment um, in the lab. And I think Vince was there. I was kind of bawling my eyes out and running around all of UNSW hugging everyone. But and, And, you know, I'm sure that the work that we were doing contributed to lots of other applications of both inkjet printing and laser doping to the solar world, but my specific technology was not was proven to not be robust enough yeah. for mass production. While Nicole was ready to work in the solar field, she ended up taking a job at Bain & Company where she was for 10 years. While it was a departure from the field she had been studying, it allowed her to learn all the business skills you might need to run a company. Then in 2020, she made a switch. She joined the 5B team to solve a challenge that Nicole thought would be important to the future of large-scale solar. I was like on the lookout for what what's the next big chunk that we need to address. Mm-hmm. And the way that Chris and Eden, the two co-founders of 5B, were thinking about the deployment once once modules are for all intents and purposes, you know, free or close to free, mm-hmm. how do you get them out into the field as quickly and efficiently as possible was the challenge that they were looking at. So yeah, I was fascinated by that technology, kept in touch with them, watched their progress, and then yeah, joined about 18 months ago. Can you, I guess, explain for listeners who may not be familiar, what is the status quo? Mm. What what's the problem with it? Yeah. And how if I be looking to solve that? Yeah, so the status quo, um, it's not it's not terrible, <laughs> but basically <laughs> it, could be <laughs> it could be a lot better. Um, you have these beautifully elegant, simple kind of one by two metre modules that are just like the symbol of elegance and beauty. And then what happens is they all get packed into this box with quite a lot of packaging into a container. It gets shipped to a site. It gets unpacked by people, so who are handling these ever heavier panels, right? So that's a, a, a big safety concern from where I'm standing, as especially as we get to bigger and bigger modules, which we're seeing every couple of weeks as a new announcement of a bigger size module. Um, just let me jump in. What weight are we looking at per panel here? Like it, just if we can kind of... Yeah, so we're talking about kind of like 40 kilos per panel, yeah, but trending upwards. And these are um, big farms as well in the sense of like it's not just 10 panels like you're putting on a house, it's... Thousands, yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Potentially, you know, millions once we're talking about the really, really big scale. And so you've got this beautifully elegant solution that then gets handled, manhandled, you know, and and put onto racking structures that are 
quite bulky yep. steel, basically. Yep. Um, and have they put the, the racking up already at this point? Like, is that being manually... Yeah, they've, they've manually put the, the racking into place and then you're manually putting mm-hmm. the, the panels on top of that racking structure and, it, and attaching it in a very built-in-situ mm-hmm. way. So it's constructed in the field. The final step of the of the solar farm is constructed in the field, basically. So, yeah, it's quite slow. It's quite risky if it's raining. It's very difficult to do it. Yeah. <laughs> if um, So you talk, you know, we, we like to say there's no wet weather events in a factory, which is true. It's delightful unless something's gone really, really wrong. And, yeah, it's just quite expensive and slow and not very safe, not very ergonomically designed. So, so the way that we tackle that problem is you think, well, okay, well, how... How could you do it better? How could you do it so much faster? I think Australia is such a fabulous country from that respect because so many sites that we have are remote, hot, mm-hmm. difficult to get labour in, difficult to get to, um, and ha- really harsh working conditions. So you want to really optimise for the time that you're spending in the field. You want that to be safe and efficient. And so the way that we tackle that problem is we move a lot of that time and cost and risk into a factory environment, which for anyone who's worked in factory environments, they're beautiful environments (laughs) to manage risk in because you can control the processes so much better. You can scale much more efficiently. um, You can work in a much safer and more controlled environment. So we we essentially pre-assemble it looks like an accordion structure of of um, of panels. It's kind of called a folding east west array. Was okay. the was the first title for the for what we now call the Maverick, which yeah. is our flagship technology. We assemble that in a factory, and then we ship that to the site, and it already has integrated weight in it, basically. So we call it ballast, which is these blocks at the bottom of each panel, so that it. You can unfold it using a forklift, for example, and a team of three people very rapidly and it stays on the ground and doesn't move. One of the big benefits of 5B's technology is this ability to quickly deploy large solar projects. You can unfold the panels and use them in a large array. But the other advantage seems to be the idea of redeployability, the ability to fold the panels back up and move them to another location. It wasn't what we were solving for, (laughs) but it's a lovely... um, The fact that we do have a prefabricated, rapidly deployable solution does inherently mean that you can then pack it up really efficiently at the end. Either, for example, if your mine site only has a three-year life life cycle left, for example, or if you've gotten to the end of the 50 years that the solar panels have been in in the field and you want to really efficiently recycle them. Also really important to be able to get those panels back to a centralised recycling facility. So, yeah, the beauty of the 5B Maverick system is that you can essentially exactly in exactly the same way that you unfolded it, you can fold it back up using the same a forklift and about a team of three people to fold it back up, and we have done that numerous occasions. And what's been really surprising and validating is that even on we've got some test Mavericks um, where we've redeployed them about 100 times and their performance is still fabulous. So the robustness of the technology is beautiful. (laughs) I talked about my PhD before. Robustness is really important to me. (laughs) So that was one of the first questions I I think I asked Chris and Eden, like, how does this work time and time again? Um, But is it robust and delicate enough? I know this is probably a really strange word to use when we're talking about the solar industry. Is it delicate? But what I mean by that is you're 
dealing with glass panels, right? And these are expensive pieces of kit, so robust, but also delicate <laughs> enough in terms of being able to close safely and, yeah. and keep using the panels. I mean, that's yeah, pretty a lot amazing. Of, a lot of it come like, panels are tough, right? Yeah. They're made with borosilicate glass. They're hail-proof uh, for yeah. the most part. So it's really about, with panels, it's often about a particular point. Sure. Um, if you hit it on the corner, for mm. example, they can they can break. But given the structure, the kind of support that we give the panels, we, we hug them. Yeah. We hug them at the top yeah. and the bottom, and we make sure that they're really well protected yeah. while while they're being moved mm-hmm. unlike if you've got two people for example lifting them and maybe maybe hitting them or, or, or not lifting them quite in the in the right way so we do support them in that process so yeah. that that so that that works yeah so the redeployability thing is fabulous uh, and in a lot of situations that's really appealing to our customers so I'm so glad you talked about mine sites because two years ago we actually, funded our own project in Western Australia. Uh, We funded a one megawatt demonstration project. This is what we do. We basically, where the industry is not yet ready to go, we will go there first. We will demonstrate something and then we'll transition that to industry once once we've sort of proven it to be successful and viable. Mm -hmm. So we built a one megawatt system with nomadic energy. If you Mm -hmm. Google them, they've got a fabulous website. And that is for a mine site that I think has about seven years left. And after that seven years, it can be packed up and taken to a different mine site. So that's that's on a power purchasing agreement, which is a five-year contract. 5B has received 14 million in support from Arena to help with a $34 million project to automate the deployment of its solar arrays. That's right. 5B is planning to use robots to do a lot of the heavy lifting, allowing them to deploy a lot more panels every day. The real focus of that project is driving a step change in the automation of how we assemble and deploy our Maverick technology. We've already come a long way, uh, I'd say, in terms of how we do that today, but it is still relatively manual compared to what it could become. We currently kind of assemble our Maverick blocks in a Mav pod. takes two people about a day to do that. What we're talking about um, achieving with this funding is a step change so that we'll be able to do 40 Maverick blocks in a day instead of one. We'll be able to deploy instead of using, you know, three people and a forklift, we're going to be going towards automated deployment with GPS guided machines, potentially much, much faster and at lower cost than what we're doing today. So yeah, it's really a step change. And we're enormously excited about what the improvement in cost and efficiency and safety that this is really going to drive. Mm-hmm. And is that happening here in Australia? It is. It's happening in Mascot. Come see. <laughs> um, we have a beautiful new 5B campus in Mascot where we have all of our 5 beings. We have an office. We have an R&D pilot production facility. It's currently empty, but now we have the funding to buy all of the robots that will go into it to make the Mavericks. And then we have a deployment field where we can test out all of these new automated, semi-automated deployment vehicles. And how long will the project run for? Uh, Two years. Okay. Yeah. So will we have robots doing this in two years? We will. Yeah. We'll have some robots doing it at the end of this year, actually. We're already putting in orders. The the beauty of this, right, (laughs) which I always say, is that robots exist. Robots are out there that do car manufacturing, Mm -hmm. for example. So we're not talking about inventing new robots. We've invented a new product, and this is about applying automation Mm -hmm. 
to that product. Obviously, it's expensive. Buying robots is expensive. So the fact that we now have funding from the Australian government to buy that first set of robots and prove out a production line, like the blueprint of the first production line, Mm -hmm. is enormously valuable because then we can say, look, we've done it. This is how much it costs. This is the yield that you get out of that. This is how that works from an economics perspective. And then we can scale up our partners via that blueprint model globally. And I think one of the awesome things about about 5B, observing from the outside, is that that philosophy and that vision is very inherent in the culture of what you're doing day in, day out. I think there's a lot of companies in this space, especially in the kind of material manufacturing space, where that vision gets lost a little bit. You know, it does just become another company and it's okay because they're doing a good thing, so it doesn't really matter. But one of the things observing in that I think is fantastic is that it's really authentic. You guys really care about it. Yeah, and we're hyper-focused on a vision, which is one terawatt by 2030. How do we get there? People talk to us about like, oh, well, who's your competition and what's that company doing? I'm like, isn't it great? All this innovation in the space, like, to get to a terawatt, it's not going to be any one company, right? It's going to be lots of different technologies and different applications. Yes, we think we have a really compelling value proposition in a lot of different applications, but it's not solely going to be us and that's great like we need to support everyone and be hyper collaborative on that it's probably worth talking about our business model actually which I realize we haven't touched on so so we talk about acceleration at 5b on two tracks we talk about the technological acceleration which is where our you know flagship maverick technology comes in and being able to deploy solar much much faster from a product sense but then we also talk about system speed so how do you then accelerate the diffusion of that technology globally as quickly as you possibly can because there's no way that any one company could do that themselves. So we have an ecosystem business model. We work with over 35 partners all around the world Mm -hmm. from supply to assembly to deployment to life cycle services so, so that we can actually get that technology out into the world as quickly as we possibly can and so that we can also help other companies transition into the renewable energy revolution, which we're all a part of, and help to ensure that they have opportunities as well. And the last question, I'd like to go back to the start of the conversation to five-year-old Nicole with your uh, solar car. Solar car kit, yeah. Do you think she'd be pretty happy right now? Oh, I think she'd be stoked. Yeah, she'd be really pleased. (laughs) (laughs) She'd probably be saying like, do more. <laughs> get, get there faster. That, I mean, I spend most of my days wondering how we can do everything faster. Uh, no one on this podcast will be surprised, but the enormity of the challenge remains at times overwhelming, you know, and the speed at which we need to shift the world is dramatic. I have a four and a seven-year-old and they are passionate about the environment and passionate I'm passionate about protecting it for them and creating the world that I want for my children. So yes, we need to go as fast as we possibly can. And there's so much capital and expertise out there. Like imagine if everyone was focusing on this, like how how quickly we could get there, especially given that it all exists. All of the answers are there, you know, which I couldn't say uh, 18 years ago when I entered the industry. I couldn't yeah. say it then. But now you can, you stare at the costs and you're like, yeah, let's just get this, get it done. Yeah. <laughs> let's get yeah. the transition happening. Come on. 
Thanks to Nicole Cooper-Russell for joining us for this episode. Rewired is brought to you by ARENA, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, working to support Australia's energy transition. This episode was hosted by me, Kaya Taylor, with production and scripting from the team at Lawson Media. If you've enjoyed the conversation and want to learn more about the transformers working to change our energy grid or the projects that ARENA is funding, you can find out more on our website, arena.gov.au. I'll speak to you again soon.